Good morning, everyone. As some of you know, I have the honor of being a parent of a teenager, and I get to go ahead and teach her how to drive. It is both an honor and a horror, because my life is in her hands, right? Um, well, I, I remember actually when I was the one who was driving, it was a horror for me because my dad yelled at me so much. I was like, I'm not going to do this to my kid. Now I understand why. <laughs> She's a great driver, by the way. She is learning really much better than I actually thought she would. She's doing great. And of course, through my tool industry. Um, but as I'm teaching her how to drive, I'm a little surprised that she's having difficulty with certain things, as all drivers, young drivers do. First of all, sometimes she puts her foot on the accelerator and like, oh, what happened? Or she puts her foot on the brake and like, what happened? Right? Um, or she's turning and she doesn't quite understand how the wheel is going and moving the car, especially in reverse. That's true for every driver. But actually, the whole time I'm in the car, I'm thinking to myself, oh, I should have put her through more sports. I should have put her through more sports, but she didn't really like sports. And I, I tell her this every now and then, and she's like, I don't like sports. But I'm explaining to her why. Because in sports, especially if you are uh, playing an aggressive sports, you have to see what's out there, the whole scan of the field, as well as the, what, where the action is, where the places look. You have to develop your peripheral vision, you have to develop your proprioception. That means you know where your body is and how it's moving, and you know how to navigate through things at speed. Not only that, you learn how to do some tactics specific movements that are meant to go ahead and get you where you want to go. Not only that, you can work strategy, the larger kind of idea of what you're going to attack and what you're going to do. These kinds of things are mental as well as physical. And I find that actually sports is such a, an important thing in my own life. I'm a horrible athlete, you can tell. Um, I'm like one of those like Lord of the Rings dwarves, right? I cannot run for a long period of time. I'm dangerous in short distances, that's about it. Right? But the activity of having to try something over and over again, teaching myself and being taught and being coached how to do things which are counterintuitive, I found to be the most valuable thing in my experience in sports. So I played tennis. And you know, when I first played tennis, I played it like I was playing ping pong. And it was a bad idea because it's actually a very different sport. And through a lot of good coaching, you learn actually to do things that are extremely counterintuitive. In fact, when you hit the ball, you don't hit the ball exactly where the racket is flush. You close your face, so you kind of brush up on the ball. You do all kinds of things that don't make sense in the normal thing. You don't swing wildly with all your strength, like, you let the racket do the work, this is my coach telling me. Because a lot of times I go back to my normal, intuitive way of doing things and I have to be told, no, 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 no. Do it this way, do it this way. And as you do it that way, you find it, it really works. It didn't, you didn't think it was going to be that way, but it works. One of the things that are counterintuitive for a lot of people who are doing these kinds of complex emotion sports like tennis is that you have to actually plan a specific follow-through even as you are working through your swing path to hit the ball. It's not enough to actually prepare well, hit in perfect contact. Actually, the, the follow-through actually almost sets up your contact well. If you don't do a follow-through well, your contact isn't very good. It's not just like you look really good like Federer here with beautiful follow-through and backhand, but actually it's, it's to the point of function. That without a good follow-through, you can't play right. 
If any of you golfers out there, right? I don't play golf, um, but I know this to be true that in your swing path, if you don't have a good follow through and you're just jerking to hit the ball, oftentimes you might be actually good because you just learned how to do it, but oftentimes that's actually not the best way to play. It's the follow through that actually allows you to go and move your, your, your whole torso and get the right torque. It's true for almost every sport. One of the reasons why these baseball players can hit the ball so hard and so far is not because they can get the right contact. Look at them, they're, they're extending their arms and their follow through actually leads them all the way through, even for a game like basketball. So it's true for almost every sport. It is a little counterintuitive. If you're thinking about hitting the ball, why do you have to worry about following through? The ball's no longer touching and you're no longer there. It's actually what it does, it, it prompts the way that you do your motion. If you are already thinking about follow-through, your, your actual activity that what you're doing, your technique is sound, if you do it right way. Well, I find that there are a lot of things that are counterintuitive, not only in sports and the tactics and the strategy and the way of the techniques of living out, it's counterintuitive in actual spiritual life too. In fact, the gospel is extremely counterintuitive. Who would have thought that if you want to be great in this world, You'd have to make yourself a servant. The greatest is a slave to all. Who would have thought the first would be the last? Who would have thought, as Jesus describes, in order to save your life, you have to lose it for Christ? And if you did try to make your life for all your energy to live your great life apart from God, you would, in fact, lose it. Who would have thought that if you lived your life so full of having the best experience of this life, didn't plan for the next in resurrection. If resurrection means nothing to you, the Lord of the resurrection Christ, that you are the biggest fool of all. These are very counterintuitive things. Nobody, unless they're told this, unless they're convinced of this by the Spirit, by the Gospel, you don't live that way. Some of us actually have been in church for a while and we know these things to be true. We hear these things and that's just Jesus doing his thing, being extremely hyperbolic, saying these crazy stuff, but what happens when the old way, when your intuitive way of living, of calculating, of relating, of actually, you know, of investing, runs up against the new way, the way he wants you to do it. It's tough. In fact, it's really tough. What happens when you've been doing it the new way, and at first you've got this momentum, you're doing great, you're so excited, but then it's hard, and you're tested. And it's so easy to slip back into the old way. What is going to empower you to make it through? Well, I think one of the things that we should be thinking about as a metaphor for how we do our tactics of daily life, what do we put our attention toward, what we focus on is the follow-through. Are we following through on what God says and are we doing it on a daily way? Small little steps of, okay, God told me to be forgiving, so I'm gonna forgive. It doesn't feel intuitive, in fact, it, I just don't want to. But as you do, you build this pattern. God says be generous. Trust Him. Give tithes. Don't live for money. Don't let your treasure here on earth be generous like God is. And at first, it is so counterintuitive. No way, God. Then you do it. And then you trust Him. Right? And you build this new way of life. Well, we've been doing that this whole season as we've been practicing devotion. It seemed like not so much, 15 minutes to 20 minutes a day. Well, that's not much at all. Who can complain about that? Because 15 minutes goes by like that. But actually to spend 15 concentrated minutes listening for God's voice, 
Not only listen, to hear him speak to us, to personalize his words into our lives, but to actually follow through and do it. That's really tough. We've spent a good seven weeks, and this will be our eighth week. But this is in some ways the last time of the series. We've gone through a lot of stuff. What, how important it is to fuse our life with truth, how important habits are, and building good habits, godly habits. We've talked about actually um, listening for God, his voice. We talked about um, not only praying for things, but also meditating and responding this way. This building this lifestyle, we're following a first-hand relationship. We don't just need a pastor to tell us how to live. We don't just need something on YouTube or some nice prepackaged material or a book to inspire us. We're actually having a face-to-face, daily interaction with God, where He's actually leading us, He's shepherding us. The only way to do this well, and continually, is to follow the Lord. Well, I want to start with the verse of James that was read, James 1, verse 22, where James is actually echoing Jesus in a way, and he's saying to his people, to us, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. There's a certain strange self-deception that happens when you hear it, you say, oh, that's great. I love it. Great. Sounds good. Mm -hmm. But you don't do it. You actually, that self-deception thinks you think you're a spiritual person. You think you're in good shape. You think you've done well. In fact, without the follow-through, actually doing what God has asked in trust, in faith, something happens. You are not as strong as you think you are. You're not as good as you. You're, in fact, in a bit of trouble. There is such a significance of follow-through that if you never follow through, it doesn't matter how much you know, it doesn't change you, it doesn't change your future. Um, I know a lot of people who are incredibly intelligent, incredibly wise, they know so much. They grew up in the church or they grew up in other places. I know people who are not even Christian but know the Bible better than I do, better than others do. But the thing that marks them and completely different is they have so much knowledge. They've heard a lot. But in fact, they haven't changed much because they didn't follow through on the daily life. Everybody knows this to be true. Words are meaningless without intent and follow through. Um, I remember my dad, uh, he's a good man, but he had so many things on his mind. And when he, would, he actually went when we were um, parking one day, and I was, I, was, I was punching my coins because I didn't have much. And he, he asked me, can I borrow a quarter, son, because I didn't have any change for... He's got lots of money, but I don't want any change for the, for the meter. So I said, okay, Dad, you're going to give me back, right? I'll give you back tonight, I promise. You sure, Dad? Yes. I mean, of course. He's got a lot more money than me. I was just a kid. So I gave him the quarter. And he put it in the thing, and we, you know, parked. We went home, and I was waiting for him. Waiting for him. It's like, he's going to come soon. My dad, he remembered. I, I told him, are you sure, Dad? He said, yes. That day, he didn't come. And the next day, I said, Dad, we're after my quarter. He's like, what quarter? <laughs> what? It's just a quarter. But I can tell you, for years after that, I looked at him. You said you were the quarter, but you did. It's really weird, okay? Now, I've learned to follow through forgive him, right? But words are meaningless. Without the intent and the follow yeah. Every relationship, especially the relationship with God. 
Jesus talks about this really this clearly. James is only echoing what Jesus is saying. The significance of doing what we're called to do, following through in our actions and our lifestyle. This is Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount where he says incredible things, things that are just mind-blowing. Requests and not only commands that are just impossible to follow. Be perfect like your heavenly Father and heaven's perfect. Not sinless, but absolutely mature. Grow into this maturity. This incredible love that you actually pray for your persecutors, people who are trying to harm you. You actually blessing them. He says stuff like, blessed are you when you mourn, when you're grieving, because trust me, comfort is coming. Stuff that is so counterintuitive, and said at the end of all this just amazing stuff that feels like impossible to follow, he has to finish off by saying, don't you know? The important part is actually don't hear it when you do it, but you live it. Maybe imperfectly, but you don't give up on living it. He says in the last part of the Mount, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, who follows through into action and response, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, it's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew beat against that house, and it fell in a great crash. Who's heard that before? Makes all sense, right? right? But we don't know the geography very well. Because if you see this, this is actually, a, this is in Jordan, by the way. This is a large wadi that's kind of a riverbed. And if you had to build a house, and you actually think about the time and the cost that it would take, you would build on that flat ground right there. It'd be so easy. It would cost so much less to do it like that. You would not choose to build it on the top of that rock. You'd have to climb up there. The foundation's not straight. You'd have to actually work out all of that geology and all that structural engineering. You'd have to pay for something a lot more to make a house on the rock. You would, very few people, not knowing the geography and not knowing the seasons, would build there. But a child listening to this story would laugh. Duh! Everybody knows when the rains come, that dry, flat ground becomes a river. Yeah, guaranteed the storm is coming. What fool would ever build a house there? So Jesus actually kind of, I can hear the kids snickering. Ah, what idiot, what foreigner, what, you know, dumbbell would actually do that with no clue? Of course, no matter how hard it is, no matter, no matter how it doesn't feel like it's worth it, if you're going to build a house, you can always do it on the rock. What is he saying? It's so counterintuitive, and yet, Pay the price if you don't follow through. When I was taking national arts, martial arts, this was my hero, as he was for my generation and many generations since. I remember like sparring, and uh, my master said, You know what Bruce Lee told me? He didn't tell him that, but you know, you know what Bruce Lee said? When you punch, you cannot target right where you want to punch the point contact. You have to plan to hit six inches perhaps. And that's the only way that you can actually have the force to get there. Yes, you snap, but you snap not right here, but you miss. You snap almost through the point of contact. 
I think about that. There's a genius there. If you are already intending to, putting the motion into following through, it changes the impact of your life. It changes the impact of your actions. If you think to yourself, yeah, I might or might not, or I'll just kind of hold back and I'll decide the last moment whether I do, you'll never actually be able to hit right. Okay? But it's this incredible conviction and commitment to actually, before you throw the punch, to make your way through. That actually makes the difference. We've been doing this daily connect every single day. Uh, you know, Monday through Saturdays. Where we're spending this time just hearing from God, calling out to God, following through in this daily relationship. But the interesting part was, I was hearing some of the chatter, and it was, oh, this is so hard. I can't wait till this great school season is over. We're almost finished. We're almost finished. And the smiles were like, oh, we're almost done. And I was like, do you know? This wasn't like an eight-week thing. You're not supposed to be this Christian for eight weeks, right? This is kind of like a warm-up for the rest of our lives. In fact, some of us expect that we do this when we're prompted to, when somebody forces us to, when somebody guilts us to, or, or everybody else is doing it, but we don't know how to actually bring it through all the way through. We don't have this tactic in our life. This expectation that when we do what we're supposed to do, what God asks us to do, we're going to do it to the full. Past the point of contact. Okay? But if we live that way, not only do we live into what it means to be a disciple of Christ, we actually, there's a fullness of impact to our life. Jesus puts it in very stark terms. He says the difference is between not only catastrophe, a house that is carried away with no future, or a house that stands. He actually puts it in very strong terms, saying, you have to make this a strategy of your life, not just a tactic for your day alone. We're following through with God in your walk with Christ in discipleship. has to take priority over everything. You can't simply just play at this be a Christian when you want to be. Be faithful, be active when you want to be. Take a break. Do your own thing when you want to be. There is no way actually to walk with Christ outside of this full-blown intention. Not only in a daily way, but ultimately a life direction to make him number one and go all the way through. He says in this verse, these verses in verse 14. Um, Luke 14, following verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, now pay attention. He's got a lot of people following. All, you know, when he was out, actually, John the Baptist was gathering everybody from the countryside, but Jesus went more viral than John the Baptist. Okay? He's got millions of people following his feet. He's got influence up the wazoo. They could make him king in a second. They want to. And yet, watch what he says. Not just because he's sitting in the crowd, but he wants us to understand something. People who have experienced his miracles, experienced his teaching, were so touched, who felt so close to God because they were near him. He says stuff like this. If anyone comes to me to 
follow evolution. And does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, in their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, I know some of you youth in here, you're probably thinking, that's easy. I hate my mom and my dad, that's easy. Yeah, I'm following through on that. You know, and you go through this even though it sounds like in my life too. It's like, oh, I can't believe it, just takes to listen. Right? I understand that. Um, that's what we saw here. Or you husbands, or you wives, oh, I hate my husband, I hate my wife, I am being obedient to this passage. It's not what he's talking about. He's saying, unless you have a higher priority to love me more, to follow through with me more, then to follow through what they want, or what expectation of proposal for them, then you don't have this right relationship. It actually is a very tough thing. He's speaking to, in like in our culture, is the culture that had a very high value on filial piety. Okay? Rightfully so. You don't, you don't disparage your parents, you don't shame them, you do what they say. But Jesus is saying, you cannot put their loyalty to them over me. So much so that it looks like you hate them compared to the love that you have for me. You know how hard that is? You know how difficult that is? I grew up, my parents, they slaved away. They put themselves in harm's way. They worked themselves to the bones to give me an education. And every time I would see them coming home after 16-hour days on their feet, just so exhausted, and they would look at me and they would say, we're doing this for you. You know what it felt like to have this, I got, I have to succeed. I have to make their life valuable. I have to make my life count in order to not only please them, but to make their sacrifice worth it. Okay, I'm not the only one. If you're, if you're parents, you might have felt what that's like. You who, kids in here who, um, and youth and so on and so forth, who have parents who didn't have to go through that, you have no idea. But that stuff is built in you. And so when God was calling me to ministry to actually step away from the route of the doctor, I knew it was going to break my dad's heart. That was one of the hardest things. I had to look him in the eye and tell him, Dad, I know you paid for a good education. I know you slaved away. I know you had this dream of your son being a doctor, but I'm following God's call. And he's never been the same since. I feel like I broke something in that man. And that was so hard. The call that God put on most of my life, but on everybody's life, to follow Christ's means. You gotta follow through even when you have to go through high places of loyalty. Hate your father and mother. Not hate them, but your love and your follow in Christ is so much more prioritized than it looks like that. You know, some of my guys, your friends, and I'm just probably your son must hate you to choose this route. Yeah? Wife and children. Who would be asked to do that? To trust and follow through with what God asked to do? Even against your wife's wishes, wishes? Isn't it in the Bible? Happy wife, happy life? Right? Actually not. It's not in there. I looked. I checked. It's not in there. Right? Or children. How could it be possible that in fact you have to love your God and follow Him more than what your children need, you think they need or want? Trust them for them. Trust Christ, brothers and sisters, even your own life. So it's interesting that the filial piety thing actually comes up a lot. And Jesus has to say it over and over again. He's going around, he's calling people to discipleship, and one guy says, Jesus, I want to follow you so bad. I want to follow through when you call in my life, but I can't. 
I have to wait until the bury my father. We don't know if the father's going to die soon, or if that's just the expectation that he can't do anything until he's followed the father. Like Abraham never left out the, the land until his father died. It's this high holy height. You know what Jesus says to him? Let the dead bury the dead. It's a really obnoxious thing. Yeah, it sounds like Jesus is being really close and careless. But then he says this to the guy who is so caught up in silly piety. He says, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. Saying, If you are going to be a Christian, you have to have the, the mindset and the follow through to say, I'm gonna, If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it all the way. We're not from an agricultural setting, so we don't understand what it's like. And I actually didn't understand for a long time either. I went to Thailand on missions, and um, I saw this guy, and he was plowing with a water buffalo in this field, and he was looking, he, he looked like he was doing, doing it easy. And I said, I don't know why. I said, can, can I try it? And I was like, all right, I, you know, I'm going to give it a shot. And this water buffalo, really nice, walked really slow, and I thought this was going to be a cakewalk. Here I am. And it was the hardest thing that I have ever done, physically and mentally. Stupid plowing, you know? Because the plow wants to go this way, because the rock comes in the way, or the plow wants to go that way, or sometimes the water buffalo doesn't want to move, he won't move too fast, too slow. And I'm holding on to this plow, and it's taking everything I can to hold balance and keep this line going straight. It was so exhausting. At the end, I'm like, oh man, I give total kudos to farmers. And that's actually what it takes to actually farm. Because the stakes are, if you don't plow right, your seeds don't go deep enough. If your seeds don't go deep enough, they might look on the surface and that you did a good job. But if you don't plow right, the seeds don't deep enough. By the time of harvest comes, you don't have enough harvest. If you don't have enough harvest, you suffer. Your family's welfare is on the line. This is actually the same. This is serious work. This is the work of seasons that if you screw this up, even all the other work won't matter. You better not look around, not be distracted, let other things come in the way. You gotta put, you gotta put your hand up on, you gotta do it right. Make sure you follow through well. That's the image that he's saying. That you can't follow him and actually play at this. If you hear and you not do, you might think, well, the short term, yeah, it looks straight, it looks fine. When the harvest comes, whether you plow right, whether you focus right, it will come on to play. He says, Whoever does not carry the cross and cannot be, follow me, cannot be my disciple. Look at, look at the attention here. Saying, suppose one of you wants to put a table, build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Does that make sense? Before you started, you have the intention to finish it. You're already thinking follow through to the end. You can't just start saying, oh, I got a great idea, I got a great thought here. Because if you lay the foundation, I'm not able to finish it. Everyone who sees it will rate you and say, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. You're like, oh, who cares if somebody what other people say? That culture is so conscious of other people that if you did that, that would be a mark your character, nobody would trust you with anything. A guy started, he couldn't finish it. Why would I invest in him? Why would I even trust him in what he says? He doesn't know how to finish. You see the importance of this? When you're starting something, especially the life of Christ, 
guess what? When you're just going through and continuing like Christ, you have to have this aim of punching through, no matter what. He says, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? Already the stack, the, the deck is stacked against you. You don't have the numbers. You're going to need more than simply just, I got the man behind me. You're going to need to be able to say, can I win this? Do I have the conviction? Do I have the will, the grit to make it through? If you don't, then you're going to have to surrender. If he's not able, he will send a delegation to the other ones a long, long way, long way off, and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be Jesus is not trying to take and make your life useless. What he's saying is, there's only one way to live this life to the full, full effect. You can't have heart it. You can't just listen and not do. You can't simply just take breaks here and there. You gotta follow it through the end. I like the fact that the scriptures say the two references that Paul uses to describe the Christian life are sports. But they're not normal sports. It's boxing and the marathon. Okay? It's not fielding rinks and ping pong. Even though ping pong is pretty sport, by the way. It's sport. Uh, you say it's boxing where you're going to get punched, you're going to get beat. Your life is on the line. And it's going to take everything you have to train for it and in the ring. He says, I do not beat, I, I do not box as if I'm swinging in the air. Okay? I want to hit my target, I want to hit through my target. It's like the Iron Man, right? Who would ever choose to do the Iron Man? Okay, we've got, got somebody in here, actually has done three of them. 16 hours of torture, right? You cannot wing it. Oh, I want to do the Iron Man. Start it after your first 30 seconds in the water, trying to do 2.2 miles of swimming in the open water. Oh, forget it. You have to plan in advance. I'm going to make it. Through. What do I have to do to make it through? I used to think, man, these endurance people, they're just really enduring, you know? Um, there's no strategy, there's no tactics, there's no technique that kind of put them down. I can't do it, I can't do it at all, you know? But I realized, look at the strategy. The amount of training they do to get their body ready, to transform their fast twitch and slow twitch muscles over years, to think through what pace do I have to make? Where do I have to go to get through this? When do I have to eat? What do I have to eat? It is all-inclusive. You cannot have heart, preparation, or a run in the Iron Man. You actually put your life in danger. In fact, I got to see this in the first hand with my wife, and she was doing some marathons, and I was like, I was amazed. The strategy of the kind of training, and even the race itself, because if I had to run, I would just be so excited, I would just run really fast, okay? And then this is what happens that all people run really fast. About halfway through, they hit a wall. And they're like crawling, they're crying. But my wife, she's amazing. She actually listened to her coaches. And she started off really slow. And she's really competitive, by the way. She hates running slow. She started moving. Everybody's passing her. She's kind of like, see this kid. Everybody's passing her. But she knows. I gotta wait to, I have to make it to the finish line. So what she does is she waits and she goes slow and she picks up speed. And her marathon, she does the negative split. Her second half is much faster than her first half. And she gets she's strong. 
That's the way to live. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. Your tactics, as well, as a strategy of life. You got a plan to make it through the end. Paul says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. This week has been a tough week. It's going to be a lot of topics coming up. And I get exhausted emotionally. Pastors, um, it's, it's a huge spiritual fight. Um, sometimes we get access to other people's pain in such a way that our faith gets struck or our own pain. And it's hard. And you just sometimes just want to give up. Telling God, I'm so tired, I want to give up, I want to give up. And he kept telling me this week, don't you know there's only one way to run? Don't you know there's only one way to run? You can't dog it. Yes, there's strategy involved, but you have to intend and fight to make it all the way through. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. It's all about. Thank you, Bobby.